Hey, thank you for tuning in. Welcome to season one of the Prayer House podcast. Our mission and vision is simple. It is to spread the gospel and good news to the ends of the world and to do it by building a community whose foundation is Jesus Christ. So welcome to the family. We hope you enjoy this message and it is a blessing to you. And so uh, today I would like to welcome the speakers that we have, that we've had this past week. We have uh, Sister Jamie James, um, Brother Charles Samuel, and Brother Philston Thomas. Um, the, this past week we have uh, covered topics such as depression, suicide, um, shame, guilt, rejection, as well as loss and grief. So uh, before we begin, I would like uh, for the speakers to be able to introduce themselves. Hi, I'm Jamie James from Oklahoma. Um, I'm a licensed professional counselor, um, and I work at an agency here with um, three cities, and more than anything, like, I mean, like, I like to just serve God with what gifts and knowledge that he's given me, um, but it's nice to meet you all, and I'm honored to be here with Brother Filson and Charles as well. Um, Hi, guys. Uh, I'm Charles. Uh, I am a writer from Austin, Texas. Uh, I have written about mental health, and I had, um, I, I'm a recovering um, mentally unhealthy person is what I usually say to people. Um, but I've been in counseling, and um, this is a topic that's really close to me because it's something that I'm you know, constantly processing. Um, so I'm super excited to be here with um, Jamie and Wilson. I'm super excited to hear what they have to say. <laughs> Hello everyone, my name is Susan Thomas. It's such an honor to be here with you all, uh, especially with Jamie and Charles. Uh, I have no expertise, especially when it comes to the area of mental health, but I have been involved with the youth ministry in a while, so I've uh, worked with a lot of young people in different capacity, and uh, I believe God just thought I, was, I would fit in with uh, Charles and Jamie right here in this forum, so I'm here. So. I'm a leadership trainer. That's what I do. And I'm very excited to be here with you all and uh, just to serve you. All right. Thank you, guys. Um, so before we dive in, I just want to let you all know that we have come up with um, a list of questions. Uh, many of you have submitted questions to us. Um, you are. You may... Um, you use the question and answer box below to give us live questions um, and we will try to get them um, if, if the time allows as well. So as we begin, um, the first question we have is for you, um, Jamie, how do you distinguish between true mental health, a true mental health illness and a spiritual battle? When should you go to your pastor versus a therapist? I mean, um, that's something a lot of Christians struggle with knowing. Um, a lot of times as Christians, we like to say everything's a spiritual battle. And um, I would say, you know, first off, uh, going to your pastor from initially from the beginning, whether it's an attack or not from the beginning would be great. I mean, or someone you trust. Um, I would say it would be, you, you would know it's mental illness more and I wouldn't even always say mental illness like it's just like something you need to deal with if it's more chronic something that you pray and you're not getting a relief you're you're going to people you're talking to them about it and nothing's happening and you just are to a point where you can't get past it um so there's nothing wrong like I mean I've said in uh, my previous sessions of like just talking to a therapist and trying to talk it out and uh, whether it's a mental illness or just a conflict that you need to resolve, I think it's good to get help and insight from the beginning. 
Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, so for the next question is for um, Philson. My family member is struggling with mental illness. What should my prayer be? How can I continue to show up for them spiritually, even if they might not be a believer themselves? Uh, thank you, Anita. So, uh, of course, uh, when you talk about the entire subject of mental illness, it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's, it's an isolation issue. Many a times when you, anyone who's struggling with uh, this mental illness, what they want to do is they don't, they don't promote it. They don't talk about it. They're just going to hiding. Or they put a big mask where they want to make sure everyone's like thinking differently and they look, they're, just, they're, they're between, they appear to be much stronger than they are. However, the entire struggle that they're going through is in the six inches of real estate between two years. That's where the entire challenge, entire struggle is happening. By the way, that's where our success is. That's where our failure is. Everything comes right here. And that's where, that's what we're talking about. That's where the challenge is. And so when you're trying to work with somebody who's, who's, who's struggling with the mental illness, so first of all, uh, like we can be very sure, you can be sure, you don't have answer for everything. Right? When, I, when I'm talking to young people who they're sharing the challenge, I really don't have answer. And all I try to do with them is I just try to be available, just being there, being that confidant whom they can share with, they can talk with, right? They may just share their burden with. While you're praying for your family member, who's, whether they are believer or not, you see, one thing which we need to understand, even when we look at the Bible, there are a lot of prayers when that happened, the faith was released. Faith was not of the person, the recipient's faith. But when God raised the, Jesus raised the dead, or, or, the, or, the, uh, or, or the widow, the son of that widow in Nain, it was not that woman's faith, it was the Lord's, Lord's faith been released. So many a times when there, we can see a lot of instances when you're praying for people, they may not have faith. What you're doing is you're releasing your faith. You tap into your faith. You release it. They tap into your faith. I love this. Recently, I was talking to a mom, and she said that her son is struggling with a lot of issues with everything that's happening around. And uh, he kept saying that, Mom, but I don't believe in God. And she said, you know what? That's okay. If you have struggled, you're asking these questions, that's okay. All I'm going to ask you is continue to stay. Just continue to pray. But don't tap into your faith, tap into my faith, right? I'm going to cover you, protect you in prayer. So mom's just releasing her faith over her life. The son, though, he's not having enough faith, but that she's covering with that protection. So where, where I'm coming is just releasing your faith. It's okay that even if they don't believe, right, at that point of time. But that's a journey you're taking them through. So now when you pray for them, now the question here is, how can I continue to show them how, what should my prayer be? How can I pray for them? And when you're praying for them, I believe, first of all, you have to recognize that it is a spiritual battle. There is a spiritual battle involved in it. You know, there's a, there's, there could be various reasons, but there is that element of spiritual battle involved in it. And John 10.10 10 says that thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that you may have life, life in abundance. So you know that when an enemy comes, the purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy. So that, 
anytime you're seeing that steal, kill, and destroy is happening, you can see there is an enemy aspect. There's a spiritual bad aspect impact in it. So now when you're praying, we come with that awareness. I would say that first pray for compassion. And when you're praying for compassion, just first you pray for yourself that you would have that, continue to have that compassion because it can become a little uh, overbearing and then you want to just, you don't know what, what, which way you're going and so that you would remain compassionate with them and you would build that up. And pray that they will have, they will trust on themselves. Then pray for courage amidst fear. Pray that they will have courage over the fear. Right? And when you're praying for the courage amidst fear, pray that they will have that enough courage to take the next step. And just continue to pray. Now, while you're praying, I would just also encourage there is nothing that can replace the power that is in the Word of God. The Word of God has the strength. You know, Bible says, throw your words into the waters and it will not return void. And even while we are praying for them, I think it's very important, whether irrespective of whichever faith they come in, your words will not build the way the Word of God will build. So in that time, in that gentle way, start sowing the seed of the word, the encouragement and courage from the word. And even as you're praying, sowing the seed of the word, Bible scripture says, all scriptures are God breathed. And now when you're giving the word, you're breathing the word of God into their life. The same breath that brought life to begin with in the garden of Eden. That is what is coming up. And when you're doing that, pray so that they will be responsive to God's voice. And also pray for grace over their life. And as I, you know, as I just, even as I'm wrapping it up, I just, I want to just, one, of, one word of caution. You know, many a time, misery loves company. So what that also means is, if you are someone who's praying with people, with a mental illness, who are struggling with any issues, make sure that your hope is secure, you're secure in the Lord. Make sure your foundation is strong. Otherwise, I think that it's, that can be too heavy a burden on you. And so make sure you're equipped enough and being, you guard, guard yourself in the Word and then build that up. I don't know if anybody else wants add to add anything to it. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Phil Sanchechen. Um, for the next question is for uh, Jamie. Uh, if I have a friend who is going through depression, should I do something to help them or should I tell someone, someone else? Well, um, of course, if you have a friend that's going through depression, um, I definitely believe that you need to, especially if you recognize it, you need to do something to help them out. Um, a lot of times when you go to someone else and that's your friend, people feel betrayed by it. So I would recommend that you initially you go and you try to do something to help them out. And sometimes people don't recognize that they're in depression. And as a friend, you may be seeing them go into depression. So just act, at least initiating that conversation and saying, you know what, 
I feel like you're not yourself. I feel like something's wrong. And of course, pray with them, try to be around them and, you know, just bring them back from that place that they're in. But I would definitely recommend, you know, before you go to someone else, if you've tried everything you could and you feel like you're at this place where you can't get through to them, then definitely reach out to someone else. But initially, if it's your friend, um, you know, just keep that trust with them and don't let them feel betrayed by bringing other people in to that situation. I hope that answered it. Thank you for that. Um, now we're going to go to Charles. Um, the question is, if you have a friend who is suicidal, how should you go about helping them? So this, this is really related to what Jamie just said pretty well. Um, but um, I, I think one of the big misconceptions, and again, I'll throw it to Jamie at the end of this just to clarify because you're the expert here. Um, but um, I think one of the big misconceptions um, about someone who's suffering from suicide is you, know, you shouldn't talk to them or ask questions about how they're feeling. Um, and that's not necessarily true. Um, and, you know, it's research and studies and experts that say this as well. Um, so, you know, you should talk to them, like Jamie said, and ask them how they're feeling. Um, um, in some cases, like ask them, like, if you know how, how deep it goes, like ask them when the last time is that they felt that, like that take hold of them. Um, if they had suicidal ideations, like, don't be afraid to like ask them, especially if they trust you. Like, this is not if, if you just like know somebody off the street, like this is if you like really are like, if you really know them and are present with them. Um, and I think most importantly, if, if you recognize that they're in trouble, um, stay with them. Like if it's, if it's a, if it's in the moment thing, like, be present like you've always been as a friend just be there and, and stay with them as long as you can um before getting them the appropriate help so that's kind of how if you don't avoid the topic um be present and be, be a friend is there anything <laughs> yeah feel free uh -huh. to no, I, I agree and especially when it's suicidal like if, the, if you have any idea of suicide that's been like said or mentioned or any hint of that at that point you know one thing that people do is they don't i mean it is it's commonly said among teenagers it's commonly said among like like all these people that you know like go through those hormonal changes and stuff as they become teens but at the same time like not taking for granted if someone's putting those hints out there um i had actually mentioned um i think briefly in one of our previous sessions i actually have an uncle that did take his own life. And um, I was young, I was a sophomore in high school, but I still remember when he came in, he was, he showed a picture of his son and he said, this is not your cousin, it's your brother. Always treat him as your brother. And he was saying different things that I kind of got the hint. Um, and I'm like, well, where are you going? Like, and I remember joking around with him, but those hints are thrown out there. So like Charles said, I completely agree. Like just not leaving them alone. Like, and it may seem like you're bothering them or harassing them or doing all that, but being there for them, praying for them. Um, like Brother Philson has said uh, initially, like, you know, we have, a, like sometimes we just have to, as Christians, you, you have to step in in the gap and you have to pray when someone's sick and they don't have the strength to pray. Um, just like that, when they're physically sick, they're not able to get up, get on their knees and pray. When you see someone struggling and on that level of like depression where they mentally don't have that strength to pray, yeah, we have to step in that gap. We have to step in with our faith. And sometimes, like I said earlier, like we don't have all the words, but ask God to give us the right and perfect words. And if we don't have the smart, right words to say, just be there present with them silently if you have to. But either way, just be there. Don't leave them. 
Amen to that. Um, so for the next question is um, now for Jamie, uh, what are some signs of depression that are often overlooked? Um, and kind of to go along with that, it's like, how do we overcome depression? Um, so one of the signs um, that I realized in my field that everyone overlooks is um, depression in men mainly many times come out as anger. Um, people see it as temper or anger outbursts or lashing out on people. And so many times people just think that they've just become this person that nobody wants to be around. And uh, many times a lot of that comes out of the depression and the feeling of helplessness inside of a person. And not just males, of course, females act out that way too, but mainly that's something that's seen in men um, where they lash out. And so that gets their family and other people to not want to be around them, which causes isolation without them even realizing it. And they're liking the isolation. They're justifying the anger they have towards somebody else. But I will say that that's the main thing that's overlooked because people look at depression and they expect someone to be in bed crying, weeping the whole time and the isolation, obviously, and not doing things that they used to like once like to do. But, um, you know, a huge sign of depression is anger. Um, and one way to overcome that, just like I had mentioned um, before, the main thing that I can say as Christians is um, feed free and focus your mind. So feed your mind with positivity, feed your mind with the word of God, feed your mind with the things of God and you continue to feed it. Uh, when all those negative thoughts come, you replace them with positive thoughts. When the enemy starts lying to you about your life and your success or anything like that, you, you feed it with the positivity of what God said you are and who God calls you to be and not what your mind is telling you at this time. And then freeing your mind by just free it from all that negativity, free it from all that lies that entered in and free it from everything that the enemy continues to tell you. And then of course you focus, you focus on what the truth is. You focus on getting better. You focus on moving forward and not staying where you're at. And when you start doing those three things about feeding and freeing and focusing your mind, then, you know, you will start seeing a way. And that's my way of saying coping. You know, I, I you know, Rick Warren is, I think Charles, may have mentioned that in somewhere where you listen to Rick Warren or that's a good tool to use because that's my favorite tool to use like he and this was actually something he said feed free and focus but I turned it into like the therapeutic thing even for my Christian clients as well as non-Christian clients but we just have to feed our mind with positivity in the word of God free our mind from the lies and those negative thoughts and focus our mind on the uh, on the future not our present um circumstances yes um so for charles i mean i think jamie kind of addressed um this question like the answer <laughs> with this question too but if there's anything else you would like to add um the question is what should one do if thoughts of depression or suicide keep coming back yeah jamie jamie <laughs> took us to church right now that was, that was amazing uh, i'm trying not to <laughs> no no that was great I, I was just like i was writing notes here i was like this is amazing um, I think just to piggyback off of what Jamie said, because I think Jamie, again, said it really eloquently, and you can tell she's a person that, like, not just does this for a living, but also, like, cares about people, which is really important. Um, I, I think um, there's obvious stuff, right? Like, if you are someone who, you know, whether you're a Christian or not, um, um, constantly have these thoughts, um, 
you know, stay hopeful is obviously a big one, right? Um, easier said than done. Second thing is um, I th avoiding drugs and alcohol is a, is a really big thing as well because um, that only takes you deeper. Um, uh, eliminating eliminating um, uh, like access to lethal, like, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Lethal like methods of suicide. So like staying away from the things that you can use to potentially harm yourself. And so um, I, I think it, there's a there's a level of like self-awareness that you have to have. And if you don't have that, understand that um, your church and your friends and your family, um, especially those who know what you're going through, um, or at least like know you period, um, they're there to to like help you and carry you. And um, there's a great thought when I was writing my piece on mental health a while back, um, one of my friends told me, um, we keep forgetting God works through vessels dressed up as human beings all the time. And so, and it's a, it's a great thought. I mean, even throughout the Bible, God used just regular people to carry out his, his, his work. And so um, just be open to that, especially if you're not aware. I am notoriously not aware of like my, like my ebbs and flows. Um, my wife is way better at it than I am. Um, my, and my friends are way better at it than I am. And so being open to that and being open, not to the criticism, but being open to like their analysis sometimes is, is important. It, it is important to kind of like make sure you're, you're like present there. Yes, that's awesome. Um, and also now back to, I think um, this next question, I think is something that a lot of people in our community, um, I guess, like struggle with what the answer is. Um, so the question is, uh, is committing suicide or a sin or is the thought of suicide a sin? I think like in our community, we're constantly taught that you will go to hell if you commit suicide. So what would be your response for that? Yeah, and I'm, I'm super excited to hear what Philson and Jamie also have to say about this. Um, so I know historically, um, so the, the biggest thing to understand is that the Bible is largely silent on the, the, the topic of suicide. Um, there, I mean, we can understand from what, what God intends for our lives, what he wants us to value. And he does, he does want us to value our lives. And so we can, we can obviously make that huge inference that like, you know, that shouldn't be where we go. But um, we also know from, from reading the history of, uh, of our church fathers from Augustine and Jerome and other folks, um, that there was a nuance um, to their approach. And so um, I think throughout history, whether it's the Catholic church or, you know, Protestant denominations, there has been um, an understanding that um, this, this is really bad. Suicide is really bad. And it could, it could be the worst thing possible. And I'm, I'm kind of like using non-theological terms here, but um, there also was an understanding at different points throughout history that, you know, ultimately God will decide and there is nuance to that. And I think the best example, um, a, a pastor friend of mine told me this, and it was just kind of like a really quick point that he was making. But um, um, he, he mentioned that like on, on the cross when Jesus was dying, he looked right next to him and he um, gave a promise to the criminal um, that only he could give. And so I think even if like, even if we think, um, even if we've already like demonized somebody like, Christ may still humanize them. And so how much more should we humanize people who are, you know, on that track or like really feeling low and are depressed or are, are like ideating, you know, thoughts of suicide. Um, so I, I think, you know, even though the, you know, the, the, the church history has been, you know, the conversations about this topic have been rare and like largely like not like unequivocal about it. Um, I do think life is valuable um, but I also know that there's nuance there and we have to humanize, not demonize. But I'm, I, I definitely want to hear what Fulson and Jamie have to say because I think their expertise is going to be great. Uh, well, 
Thanks, Charles. But I, I think this is, this is definitely a little tricky question, and uh, this is where one of the questions where you hope your phone doesn't work properly. And, uh, uh, but, but on a serious note, when you're even talking about the whole, I think it, we cannot make a generic statement at this point of time. When you're talking about because, I think when you even look at the most of the suicide that happened, it's not many decisions are made consciously. First of all, not all mental health issues lead into suicide, right? And then there you there is a very small percentage, and there is a it's not that they're not having that in, the, the ability to think through it. There's a there are various ability. There are very rare cases that happen. So it's, it's, we cannot make a generic statement. But what I would rather, more, more than underline, understand whether it's, a, it's something thin that will go to forever or not, but I would just turn that question a little bit and say, how can we come to a place where we do not deal with that to begin with, right? So where we're talking about whole question, where I, I, the question, the thought of, the thought of suicide, is that a sin or not? It was, so as, as Charles said, scriptures been very quiet. When it, I mean, you don't find, it's not, you don't find enough evidence either, either way we can to go. But then when the fact that when the thought of suicide comes in, this is my, my belief, my thinking, that there is an element in your mind that's saying, I have a problem which is bigger than God. Because, and that's where something I'm saying, like I, am, I have an issue where I cannot bring God into it and God cannot restore. And that's one thing which I want to challenge each one of you. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what happens, irrespective of anything happens, God is able to restore. You see, we just, we just need to understand there is there's every time where it comes. First of all, interestingly, interestingly, when you talk about the whole... Uh, in, uh, I, you know, I just, I, I, I may go a little too deep in that, so I will just stay outside that. But when you talk about the suicide, you, in India, in Hindi or Malayalam, it says Atmahatiya. So it's, 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 the other word is killing your spirit, killing your spirit. You don't hear of any animal committing suicide. There's a human factor that's coming, that's what is happening. So there is something very precious in your life which God has given to you that animals don't have that Satan wants to destroy. And that's the thing that you have to understand. What is so much valuable that God gave to you that animals don't have and God, Satan wants to destroy, that should just totally put in how much valuable that whole value of your soul and your spirit is. So, I would, the way I would twist this, if there is a thought comes in your mind, let's come, back to the, let's come back and see what can we do to overcome that instead of trying to figure it out, will that take me to an eternal hell or... Uh, condemnation or sh or or heaven. So that's my thought. Uh, Jamie, I'm very curious to hear what you would say. How would you add? Yeah. I, I have nothing to add. You guys did great. Um, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I say honestly, for those who have taken their life, I, I'm not like, you know, that question's come to me so many times. Um, and I like how, um, you know, Brother Filson just said, like, if that thought comes, of course, like, you know, that approaches there's nothing that God can't fix. There's not, and you know, one thing is like, there's no emotion that lasts forever. So no matter what depression you're in, or no matter what uh, helplessness and hopelessness you're feeling, it's just for a moment. 
you know, that, that feeling is going to go away. And so making that decision based on that helplessness and hopelessness is definitely something that just needs to be pulled back from. Um, because the life that God gave us is not ours to take away. And he gave us that life to live until he calls us home. And um, so, I mean, I love that you turned that question because, you know, Charles, that was a lot of pressure on you to answer that one. We found our way out of that question. But um, so, you know, it's like, you know, just for those people who are struggling with those thoughts, I'd like to say, you know, God gave you that life. And until he calls you home, it is your job to get through whatever struggle you're going through and get it get past it and overcome that situation in your life. Can I just add one thing? Because um, I think Philson and Jamie hit the nail on the head by turning the question around. I think a great example of this in the Bible, um, like exemplifying what they just said is the, the character of David, right? David was, was not just a character in the Bible. He was a, character, a man with like a ton of promise. Um, and uh, in the Bible, it says he was a man after God's own heart. Meanwhile, if you've ever read the Psalms, he's also like emotionally, like, I don't want to use the word unstable, but like he has like incredible ebbs and flows. And yet God still saw something in him. And then Psalm 34, 18, the promise that God is close to the brokenhearted. And Jesus starts off the Beatitudes with, you know, the, the poor in spirit will, are, are the essentially the wealthiest among you. Like how jarring is that idea? Um, and so I think um, I think the, the, the big thing to, to learn, and I think this is a through line in what Phyllis and Jamie are saying too, um, uh, three factors in, um, uh, like risk factors of, of suicide um, are, you know, uh, you, you notice a person that ha has no hope, they've lost reasons to live, um, and they have dramatically isolated themselves. And this is something I spoke about earlier, but when I was told those three risks to watch out for in a person that's suicidal, I realized that by default, the church is built to, to answer or respond to that. Like a church should give a person hope and they should give a person reasons to live and a, they should give people the social cushion to not isolate themselves. Not because of the church is something special on its own, but because of the Christ who lives in us, right? So um, I, I think flipping that question around is exactly what we need to do um, because life is really precious and we should be pointing to God because he's close, he's right there. And we just have to kind of like reorient um, ourselves and, and those people who are hurting to God. Awesome. Thank you guys so much. Like, that's definitely like one of those questions that I think like a lot of people struggle with, like the answer and like, you know, um, in a biblical sense. And um, so I want to thank you all three of you for answering that question. Um, so for the next one is for Jamie. Uh, it says, what does it mean to have a chemical imbalance? And is there anything wrong with taking medication for mental illness? So I have to start off by saying, you know, um, initially before I got in this field, um, I always felt like, oh, everything is a demon. Everything that negative comes is like a devil and a spiritual thing. And, you know, getting into this field and being in it, you know, initially I just wanted to rebuke every demon that came on everybody. But I realized, you know, of course there is spiritual attacks. Of course there's struggles that people go through spiritually. And I started realizing the more I got into my field that there was actually mental illness that came from chemical imbalance. There was mental illnesses that came from, you know, just hormonal changes that go through a person. You know, right now, the biggest struggle that I see is in preteens uh, going through depression. And we think, oh, my goodness, just get over it. But in reality, like what I started to do is like send these kids initially when they come to me, get the parents to do a full 
thorough physical and when they do this physical figure out hey is their hormones off is something off in their body to cause them to get depressed because we see if people have thyroid issues that they go through depression we see that pe people when they're in the pre-teen pre stage is like the biggest um age group of depression and like people just struggling with all of like all the emotions all over the place um but to get back to that a chemical imbalance is usually something seen inside of a person when you do it like there's there's either more of one chemical in your body or less of one chemical in your body and yes you do have to take a, a medication in those instances and um I would say like maybe the first year or two that I was in practice, like I was one to try to wean people off medication. I realized that that was wrong on my part. And if someone goes through a heart struggle, you know, or they have blood pressure medication, um, no one's trying to take them off of that. No one's trying to take them off cholesterol medication. No one's trying to pull them off of any of these. Now, if we're going and standing in faith of like all sickness, we're going to try to get people off medication, then that's a different story. But I'm talking about when someone's struggling mentally, why is it just that sickness that everyone wants them to not be on medication? And um, so when it comes to mental illnesses, I've seen like just a turnaround in people's lives once they have gotten on medication. Real quick, a story is I actually knew a pastor, a uh, young pastor and his wife that were like ministering. And, you know, uh, the wife would constantly come to me, tell me about marriage issues. They would tell me about different things they were going through. And they had little ones. And those little ones that were, um, you know, they were tiny little kids. And I kept saying, well, it's just a spiritual battle. It's just, you know, we will pray it off. And, uh, you know, me and my husband would go and constantly pray for them. Um, but one day she called me and she said, I no longer recognize him. And I remember going to their house and he was just talking off the wall. He was just, I mean, it just had gotten so bad. And that's when things in my life changed because I realized there was something more to what he was going through. And um, that night we had to take him to the ER. We had to go through, he had to go through this whole like, psyche valve and everything and realized that he had a chemical imbalance in his brain and nobody would have noticed that nobody would have seen that and his wife was ready to walk out and um now like this person like i mean he's on medication and he still preaches there's nobody that knows what he had gone through and his wife says that like, he's changed i mean he hangs out with his kids but the person i saw that night the person that I went and met with that night was very scary because he didn't make sense. He looked like he lost it, like he went manic, like, and it was like a psychotic episode. And that's when I realized, and I started praying about that situation a lot and realized, you know what, sometimes we try to hide all this stuff that it's just spiritual. And when it comes to the mind, people don't want to take medication. They try completely to stay away. And I will say in this situation, I see a day and night difference, like in their marriage, in his ministry, in everything that he does, like he's out doing so much for the kingdom of God. And yes, absolutely nothing wrong in taking medication if you need it. And getting that evaluated, getting that checked out, getting your hormones, everything checked out is very important. Thank you. Thank you for the answer. Um, next, we're going to go to uh, Philson. Um, the question is, can God still love me? Or I guess we could also say, can God still use me, even if I have gone through shame and guilt because of the sins in my life? Like, do I still have purpose in God, um, despite the sins and guilt uh, in my life? Absolutely. Yes. Answer is simple. Yes. You know, and here is an example. 
I believe God loves me in spite of every shame and guilt that I went through. Right? So everything that I went through, here I am, a living testimony that God loves me and his plan for me hasn't changed. He's a sovereign God. And here I am. Uh, when I think here that question, when I think of that question, I believe there are two underlying questions within that question. Number one, there is a question on the assurance of salvation. Two is the assurance on the, uh, it's about the acceptance of God. Does God really accept me? Am I, can I be sure of salvation? And when you say God still loves me, and that's where it just comes back to it. And I think that's where one of the big difference come when you talk about law versus grace. We are the people of God who live in grace. You know, growing up, I, I, I grew up in India. In, in India, when we were studying, our past mark in the school, when they did gave an exam out of 100, it used to be what? It used to be 34. Okay, you get 34, you pass the subject, right? So, yeah, I expect to be growing up in America where you have to go about 65. Hey, blessed are those who studied in India. Anyway, that's a side note. Now, when you get 34, okay, when the, when pe when the question paper or the teacher puts a question, make a test out of it, you know how much they give a test, how much do they expect a student to score? Answer is 100. When they make a test, they expect the student to score 100. But what they say is, you did not score 100. Even if you score 34, we will promote you to the next grade. You see, that's what, that's what we're talking about. That's exactly what God did for us. Jesus, when he died on the cross, we are not perfect. We are not perfect. We are, it's a march towards perfection. You see, when we, Jesus Christ, receive Jesus as our Savior, the blood of Jesus covers us. And his righteousness covers our unrighteousness and presents us perfect before God the Father. And when God the Father looks at us through the blood, he sees us as holy. He sees us righteous. He sees us someone who is deserving, who is acceptable. And once you are coming to that place, you are covering with the blood of Jesus. I strongly believe when you sit and pray and you say in the name of Father, in the Father we ask in Jesus' name. That's when Jesus sitting in the right side of God the Father and saying, Father, that's my son. That's my daughter. Listen to her. That's my brother. That's my brother. That's my sister. Right? They're asking my prayer in my name. I already paid for it. Whatever our problems, lack of it, unrighteousness, Jesus paid it all. And that's what we need to understand. It's not about law. One, one big question. We, of course, we serve a God of second chance. And one big question is, are, as a Christian, are you a rule-abiding believer or are you a relationship-building believer? If you are someone who is a rule-abiding believer, it's all about law. But when it comes to a relationship-building believer, you see, there are so many things that happen that King David did that Old Testament did not allow. But then he could do it. He understood the grace aspect because of the relationship. And so it's important that we become a very a relationship-building believer. So what are the, some of the practical applications of how we can be sure about the God's love 
and the acceptance of God's love. Number one, let's understand what you focus on expands. What you focus on expands. If you focus on the grace of God, the grace expands. If you focus on the judgment and the law, that's what stands bigger and strong in front of you. So focus on his grace. Get, number two, get in the word. This is a love letter from God. Right? You get into the word. You study the word. And, and one thing which I really encourage many people to do, and if, if, if especially if you're someone who's trying to figure out if this is something, does God loves me or not. When you're reading the scripture, the words that come speak to you so that God loves me, that it shows the love of God. Write it down. Make a separate list of all the words that talks about the love of God. And read, go through that list every day. And just apply it, claim that as a promise of God over your life. And, 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 and one more thing I'll say. When you're talking about, does God love me even if I go through shame and guilt? If this shame and guilt because of my sin, if this shame and guilt is coming out of a sin, you, that it could be a sin you did in past, that we were talking about, but if it's an habitual sin, Right? If it's in the form of an addiction, it could be a porn or drugs or whatever it is. If it's a habitual sin that is causing this guilt and shame, then you definitely get into an accountability relationship. You have to find an accountability partner. Uh, there's a beautiful app called Covenant Eye on internet. In fact, on my computer, I have Covenant Eye. All my devices, I have Covenant Eye. And what it does is, it goes, goes through the internet usage, it tracks the internet usage, end of the week, every Friday, it sends a report to my wife. It says, hey, for my son, for me, for all the internet usage, what we did this week, she gets a report on Friday. Today she got a report to see what it is. It's important that we build our guard around us, water around us. So, build an accountability partner. Make sure you've got the right people who can help you walk you through it. And, and, and I want you to know, he paid the last drop of his blood for you. He loves you so much that even if you were the only person on the face of the earth, he would have still died for you. That is his love for you. Receive his grace. Amen. And so kind of like a follow-up question with that would be the next question is like, how do you deal with shame and guilt after coming out of a broken relationship? Mm-hmm. Uh, shame and guilt out of the broken. See, so first of all, let's understand that shame and guilt is, uh, is a natural phenomenon. Right? It's a natural phenomenon. When you talk about Adam and Eve, when they disobeyed God, they right away went through guilt and shame. So every time you do something wrong, you will experience guilt and shame. But the only problem comes is when it becomes a prolonged, if it's too prolonged that you're not able to break it. Right? That's where it just comes to you have to understand that. And one of the big factors in managing your guilt and shame, I think it's, it's, it's your spiritual capacity to cope with it. And you have to, if you are someone, because it's, it's again, person to person, it changes, right? So first of all, don't know what stage of the life you are in when you talk about the broken relationship, right? If it's uh, if it's a 10-year-old who has some kind of infatuation and very disappointed and depressed, that's a different sort of problem we got here. But if it's someone who is, we, we don't know what level. So it keeps changing. It keeps changing what, where it is. 
However, every time there's a broken relationship, it leaves a big gap. It leaves a huge emotional gap. And when you have that, it leaves a big emotional gap. It's very important that how you fill that gap. And that's where it's very easy to fill that gap in a very wrong way. It could be some substance. Or for some people, it could be food. Some people, it's like just the wrong relationship. And what you want to do is you want to make sure you do not get into a wrong relationship or something else till you have got received that complete healing where from the Lord, from what he did is where God took away where you're able to not now operate in your emotions where you are sensitive to the spirit, what God is doing. You know, uh, every marriage we go into, uh, uh, you, you hear about this, most of the preachers preach and it, it, so, it says that a marriage is, uh, they also says marriage is a cord of three, three strands. Right, they say you got the man, woman, and uh, and uh, and and God. Of course, of course, first of all, when you say broken relationship, let's. I'm just thinking it's man and woman here. If it's a, if it's the other way out, then it's a different discussion. I Means that that's another part. So, but when you talk about, but there is so much, there's so much seriousness in that. But when you talk about man, woman, and God, you see, as you grow closer to God. As your relationship improves with God, your other relationship gets more purer, more holier. As you draw close to God, every other relationship gets more purer and more holier. And, and that because when there's a pure relationship, where there's a holy relationship, that would last more longer. So I think why, one of the things which you really want to do here is even by that place you are in, if, if it's something, understand that your broken relationship, do not allow it to be filled with something wrong. Fill yourself. Get closer to God. And as you go closer to God, not only God will release, heal you, release you, but then once you receive that true love of God, you will be truly able to love someone for who they are. Uh, uh, Jamie, Charles, any thoughts? I think you did well explaining that. That's good. All right. So um, we'll kind of skip around to um, the next question is for uh, Jamie. Um, so we're going to kind of go into the topic of grief. Um, the question that I'm going to ask is, how do we know when to comfort a grieving friend versus giving them space to process? Um, well, um, like I, you know, I know, I said yesterday, you have to give some people their time and their space mm -hmm. to process grief. Um, and, you know, one, one thing I'll say is first off, like you can't leave them too long. I mean, a day or two, or if you're starting to see them decline uh, or go on a, a big decline and isolating for a while, then you have to eventually step in. Um, I know in my situation when I was going through grief, um, you know, there were times that people let me be because they knew I needed it. Um, but then when they saw like it being a day or even two days, it was eventually my mom would send in my niece or like the friends would walk in or somebody would walk in the room. And, you know, so even though you feel like you're being overbearing, um, you can't let it go like weeks and months or whatever. I would say 
the time that you need to give them for isolation should just be a day or a few days. Um, and if it's something that they're forcefully pushing back, uh, pushing like on people not to come near them or give them space, then yes, for a little bit. But sometimes you forcefully have to enter in and eventually take that space away. I hope that answered it. I mean, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, next, we're going to kind of jump into uh, a couple of questions that came from the Q&A. Um, these are for Jamie. Um, one of them says, how do you become a better listener when your friends want to vent or share? Well, sometimes I will tell you quite honestly, sometimes it's hard for me to listen to certain things as well. Um, but, you know, to be quite honest, um, it's about the empathy that you have. Um, you have to look at certain situations and if you look at someone and listen to someone like, dude, your problem is nothing compared to what I've gone through in life. When you, you approach it that way, you don't want to listen. It's hard to listen because you're, you're more focused on you and your issues. But it's about being empathetic towards, yes, it may seem something like it's something minimal to you, but just being there and saying, okay, you know what, let me see and listen as, you know, someone that actually cares because if we look at Christ, you know, he's there, you know, he said, um, like he, he loved the brokenhearted. He wanted to be around the brokenhearted and he wanted to see healing come to pass in their life. And for God, anything that seems little to us or big to us is big to him because he cares and loves for us so much. So in that way, you know, one thing that I had to do is sometimes like, you know, um, I'll, you know, talk to some people and, or be listening to problems. And if I'm going through something like, or I'm struggling with something, I start realizing that my outlook on it is different than it should be. And so my prayer always going into a session or my prayer going into a conversation with someone is, God, give me your heart. Give me your heart in this situation. Give me your wisdom in this situation. How would you want me to respond to this person? And if you really listen to a person with the heart of God, that situation's easier to listen to, that situation's easier for you to guide because you're asking God and the Holy Spirit to guide you and everything. And that is one thing I have to say every session before I go into counsel anyone or talk to anyone, no matter how little or big the situation may be, the biggest thing that I'm big on is that I pray before I go in a session. I pray when I leave the session because I need the hand of God and the Holy Spirit to guide me through those situations. Amen. Yeah, definitely. That's, that's so important. Um, another question from the Q&A is also for uh, Jamie. Uh, how would you suggest dealing with mental illness or general struggles when you know you need therapy, but you don't have access to one? Um, I mean, I guess the question would be why um, there is no access. And I'll tell you, uh, I've, I've had like teenagers who their parents don't believe in mental health and you have to sign off on that way. Um, but usually there's access and I will tell you, I, I, I'm in Oklahoma and my agency, we provide pro bono services. And um, so there is access if you financially can't get through to one, but a lot of agencies, I know in every lot of states um, that I've talked to people, I've just asked them to go and call around. And if it's a financial issue that's stopping you, just say, hey, do you, I don't have the finances. What can I do uh, for your agency to like uh, work with me? So a lot of times they do sliding scales 
or they have people that are candidates who are studying to be therapists who have um, a licensed person that's also guiding them. So it's not bad therapy. It's just, you know, someone that's a candidate um, giving them the services. But services should be available and you should be able to have access to it. I think people are afraid to go out and look for it that's where the struggle is they're afraid to go out and ask and call around and see what's out there and it's such a stigma to it that it people aren't educated in what they can do or know how easily it is actually to access awesome thank you for that um for the answer um and we'll do one more um q a question uh this is for anyone uh it says is it possible to have the joy of the lord and simultaneously deal with grief depression anxiety etc or does the joy of the lord preclude one from all these maladies well i'll take the first stab and then uh, then we got we'll have experts talk on it right so when you talk about the is it possible to have the joy of the lord and experience grief uh see i think i think there's we're talking about two different emotions here right so we're looking at a something which is a very positive the joy and i'm i was actually just looking at the scripture sam uh, i was actually in the john's gospel and looking at the john 15 it says and the true true wine and my father is the wine dresser so it talks about how the joy the source first of all jesus is and the true wine we know the whole for jesus that is a is a true wine jesus is the source and it says my father is the wine dresser and the, the god is a caretaker and this whole passage is goes comes to the verse 11 and it says these things i have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you right and my joy may be complete so when you talk about the whole joy we got the source in the christ itself and the care taken by god the father you can get better better deal than that right so we got so what we what we have is something marvelous a source we got now grief in being time just because we are full of joy we are also realistically living in a world which is full of then and we have our own share of challenges all around us we the reality strikes us so when the reality strikes us it it doesn't mean that you cannot you cannot be you cannot you cannot just overlook it but i think what 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 really matters out there again in this place is personally what i think is this is my belief it comes again into your spiritual maturity in coping with this what is a spiritual capacity how confident are you in the word of god how much you believe truly believe in the word you see uh, i i often when i talk about faith and fear and i always say the presence of faith does not means absence of fear when i'm speaking to you right now i have a lot of faith that i can i have a thought that i can share but still i have fear a lot of fear right i'm a hided covering but just but at given point of time what i'm very more confident about that's where i if i'm totally i'm more afraid fear dominates i back off if fear dominates i move forward but now when it comes when the life attacks me i can have the grief that comes in the moment in my life but when that grief comes in my life it's very important that i need to have the word of god come to me 
and i cannot only think that can give me confidence the word i will just share a very quick story and wrap it up i was i had when i was in london for a season doing my masters and this is the time where one day there was a big storm big storm major gales and the trees are getting uprooted it was raining like crazy and i'm sitting inside the house it's burning i am like crushed destroyed and i couldn't take that burden i'm like i cannot take that pressure the sorrow grief that i'm going through i don't know what it was but i was so troubled and i just got out of the house i got out of the house and i'm walking up out the road and i just walked to a park amidst all this storm and the trees are getting uprooted and i walked through this rain with my and i'm just walking and going and when i'm going people looking through the windows they must have seen they're like this is some crazy guy walking because nobody can be outside at that point of time i go to the park there was a rock i sit on the rock and i'm just sitting and i'm crying of course it's pouring and i'm crying all those things are happening and when i was going through that the god you need to talk to me you need to talk to me and i heard one voice not the voice a thought not as a my child behold i speak and no 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 there was one voice right one thought all it said is my grace is sufficient for you and the moment that word came it felt like an entire weight was lifted off my shoulder and i got relief and i was filled with the joy now i'm coming back empty road it's a night i literally came back dancing in that way so while watching through the window people thought this guy was crazy when they saw me dancing and coming back it was confirmed that this guy is crazy right but what that did was with everything that was happening in my life the word of god that restored the joy in my life that's why this word has to be in our heart nothing can trans so god cannot speak to us god cannot bring a word in our heart that is not already there so yes you can go through what the different issues challenges grief but even at that point of time if the word is in you trust in you god will just restore the joy back right and if the grief is prolonged that's where we have the bigger challenge uh jamie charles I was going to just um add on to what you just said for since so like um Paul is a great example of this when Paul was writing in 2 Corinthians 12 so as you mentioned um you know my grace is sufficient for you and so when Paul is talking about his the thorn in his side and you know the speculation about what that could have been but the idea here is that he's suffering with something on an some kind of emotional level spiritual level and he's reminded that God tells him my grace is sufficient for you and when he does after that he recognizes that Paul admits or concedes that even despite this I'm going to boast um uh I'm going to boast gladly about my weaknesses or about this thorn. And so that's like that's like mind-boggling I think to think about. Um but I I I think Philson's right and I think there's also plenty plenty of evidence in the Bible where you know these 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 people grapple with these like really heavy emotions. There's a great quote from a a famous college basketball coach named Jim Valvano and I'm butchering this but he said um on any good day every single person should laugh cry and think if you if you've done well, laughing and crying and thinking on a day you've had a heck of a day and so like we're human beings we we are going to experience these emotions jesus wept 
David wrote, you know, the majority of David's Psalms were, or a big chunk of, chunk of them were lamentations. And so there is this fullness of emotions. But I think what Felson said, anchoring to this idea that this, this, this fact that, you know, his grace is sufficient for us is super important. I think as Christians, that's, that should be our anchor. So, yeah, I appreciate Felson kind of pointing that out. Jamie, do you have anything to add? I think this kind of also goes back to your idea of like the feed free focus, like, you know, putting your focus, like again, in the word of God and in what he has said over your life and all the positive things as well. Um, so now to kind of go to our um, ending questions, um, as churches and even in our own families, like how can we start these kind of conversations around mental health in the Bible? So I'm gonna actually probably start with um, Charles on this. Yeah, I think, um you know, I think having conversations like this is, is a start. Um, I think, um, uh, you know, I don't want to disparage Asian culture, but Asian culture, because of honor, shame, um, and other other factors, um, we don't really talk about it enough. Um, that I think that is changing um, it, it, for, for many reasons, but I think having conversations like this is important. The studies show that, um, or at least the data um, um, shows that, um, whether you're in church or, or not, um, mental health rates, um, are about the same inside church, outside church, including suicide rates, um, um, uh, mental illness and depression for, you know, church leaders is pretty high, like higher than you would think. You know, we just talked about the joy of the Lord and understanding that his grace is sufficient for us. Like you would, you would think those numbers should be lower, but the reality is that we, we are humans and we grapple with these things. So I think the, the, I think the first big thing is just understanding, um, um, you know, the church should be a place where we find hope and we communicate to people who are suffering that, you know, Christ is our rock and he's, gonna, he's, gonna, he's where we, we're going to point. Um, and so I think that's the first thing. I'm going to hand it off to whoever else wants to add. No, I, I agree um, with Charles. Like just um, one thing is like so many people, they, um, they don't realize that that's, that struggle that they may go through mentally is a common struggle maybe you know um there's such a stigma on that that when they feel that way there's this shame and this condemnation so it's hidden and because it's hidden there's no way they can expose that and get the help that they need um so if a church just recognizes and just educates um, the church, letting them know, hey, you know what, this is common. They're, these are things that people go through. These are um, people, these are things that people struggle with. Just giving them that education about mental health rather than like putting such a stigma on it, it, it creates an environment for people to feel open to address these issues and to be able to approach uh, leaders in the church. Um, because a lot of times people, hold on to it and keep it to themselves because of the fear of others not understanding what they're going through. And so I feel like, I mean, it's the same as like, if you expose the devil, you can, you know, it, he can, he has to flee. Right. So if we expose that struggle, we, we educate them and there's not such an ignorance about that within our churches. It opens a door for, uh, you know, those to reach out for help. Pilsen Chachin, do you have any thoughts? No, I think I think they're great answers, and I think that that's they covered it very well. And I have to acknowledge the fact that this is a topic; it's a stigma where many churches don't address, they don't talk about it, and uh, we def we have to definitely acknowledge that. And yet, it's something. This is a beautiful platform where we're talking about the other platforms. They are opening up and they're creating that platform to for the to talk. 
and i think there are many churches now are starting to address these issues that the various reasons they've been starting to acknowledge and address these issues so it's it's coming and it's 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 uh i think it's 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 i think it's just something which there was so it was waiting for someone to break that mold and it's building it up and i think we would see more this address more more in more and more in this in our communities yeah yeah and so for the last question is um do you guys have any resources that you guys recommend for education as well as for people to get help you start with uh, charles yes so um i know um um prayer house's website has fantastic resources i think they pulled from you know my work and philson's work and jamie's work and so that's probably a great first place to start um brene brown has a phenomenal youtube video on um on empathy um so if you there are a lot of questions about like how do we talk to friends or like how do we understand them be with them um when they're going through something um it's a very quick animated short uh, and brad if you know brene brown she's a fantastic communicator she's funny she's quick whatever but it's just it's just very quick and what she explains in the video is that in order to be an empath empathic listener you have to first kind of uh take inventory of your own like weaknesses and just understand that you're also a weak person or just like you have like failings of your own and so i think that's like the big thing um that's kind of like been a through line in this conversation today um and i mean there's there are a lot of great churches that are doing great things redeemer has a fantastic program and i'm i'm sure Jamie can speak to this as well but there whether it's faith based um programs that you're looking for or or not um there there are a lot of great resources online and people like Jamie can help point you in the right direction if you if you need that so shout out to Jamie absolutely sorry um yes um i i would say you know i actually try to listen to um you know try to find pastors that were actually like speaking a lot about mental health and i would say you know rick warren's probably not something that a lot of people in our generation have listened to but man the wisdom he has on mental health just because i feel like you know just with what he did and what he went through with his own son struggling with mental illness and losing his son in that fight in mental illness i mean there's there's a lot of good resources he preaches like uh, with the word and um you know just mental illnesses and how to overcome um so rick warren i will say is like one of the my favorite ones that i listen to but there's also um so a lot uh, one of the books that i use and i don't know um the exact title but it's um it's a older book and it's counseling in christianity and um it's it, like i think my dad when he was in college like uh he used it like when he did his masters or phd like here in the us he used it way back then but you know there's just uh, like it just shows and i i'll give you that title anita maybe you can put that on the site too i just came to my mind now but it just shows scripture with counseling scripture with mental illnesses and scripture that just aligns with it well and um i feel like that would be a good resource as well um for anyone who needs it but um you know like charles said i mean i think uh you know just reaching out looking in your community looking in your area cuz there's a lot of churches that now open up to mental illness like um cell groups and different things that people are going through so that's another place 
Yes. Um, so like I said, like a lot of these uh, resources that we, we have put them on our website. So you can go to um, prayerhouse.live slash October. We have a special page for this month of October. Um, and you, there you can see, again, the, our week's um, outlook on what the topics that we are going to go through, as well as submit questions, submit prayer requests, and you will see our resources at the bottom as well. So um, as we conclude this meeting, I'm going to ask um, Brother Filson if you could uh, pray for all of us here. Absolutely. Uh, can I just read one scripture right before we pray? Yeah. You know, so that we as a church, we are going through this 21-day fasting prayer, and our theme is 828 Blessings. That is Romans 828. And uh, I'm still reading chapter 8, Romans 8, every day. That's what I'm focusing on these days. And just want to read the verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. The scripture is very clear. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. My brothers, my sister, I just want you to un receive this. Either this scripture is 100% true or it, it cannot be partially true. Every word is God-breath or it's 100% lie. And I want you to know, scripture is very clear. There is no condemnation. doesn't matter whatever enemy comes and condemns us whichever way. Scripture is very clear. And I want you to receive it and know that Remind yourself, this is your promise, this is your inheritance, I'm sealed and purchased by the blood of Jesus, and there is absolutely no condemnation, because I am in Christ Jesus, because the blood of Jesus covers me. Let's just pray. Father, in the name of your Son, Lord Jesus, we come to your presence. We thank you, Lord, for your faithfulness, your grace, your love. Lord, we just want to thank you for your tenderness, your compassion towards us, oh God. Father, I just want to thank you, Lord, for this, all these questions that came up and as we were discussing, oh Father God. Lord, in our own abilities, we are not adequate enough to answer all the questions, but we just want to thank you for the word that has the power to do what it can do, oh Lord. We pray, oh Lord, we thank you for all those who just who, who received the word, and those who are going to watch through the videos of Father. We pray, O oh Lord, all those who have different challenges, different questions, different doubts. We pray, O oh Lord, let the Spirit of God, let it minister to your people. And I pray, O oh Lord, even as your people wait on you with the open word, you will give them that Rima revelation of the word. And the word of God will speak to them and comfort them, and, O oh Lord, give them the confidence of Master. I seal your people right now with the blood of Jesus. Everyone who's watching this video or will be watching through this video, God, I seal and cover them with the blood of Jesus. I speak into every anxiety. I speak into every fear. I speak into every shame. I speak into every guilt. I speak into every depression. I speak into every rejection. I speak into every negative thought. And I cancel its power, its, and I command it to loosen its grip over the people's life in the name of Jesus. And I pray that the power of God, the love of God, the peace of God, the hope of God, the assurance of God, the righteousness of God, let it power envelop your people of God. Cover everyone with the blood of Master. Thank you for my, the, the, the panels. You will bless them, O oh Father God. Thank you for the ministry of prayer house and the leaders. You will bless them, O oh Father. 
We pray these days in everything we do, you will be glorified. Thank you for your loan are worthy. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen, amen, amen. Thanks again for tuning in. We pray that the Word of God has touched you and transformed you. His Word continues to be a living and active source of life. And only through His Word can we rejuvenate our own lives. So rate us and leave a review if you can. We really appreciate it. Till then, keep searching, keep listening for His voice, and we will see you again next time.